Today I'm talking with Jason Donaldson. Jason is a galactic shaman and a Sekhem practitioner, among many other things. So today we're going to talk about what a galactic shaman is and how Jason and what Jason does can help you on the healing journey that you're on. Um, also, Sekhem, which is um, predates Reiki energy work in some kind of ideas. And so really excited to talk with uh, Jason about how he melds these practices together and presents uh, help for humanity. Hope you get something out of the conversation. We'll see you on the other side. But first, a message from our sponsor. Anamkara is a gorgeous meditation and healing center offering daily in-person and virtual services to help bring you back to the center of who you truly are. They serve through a collective of practitioners, healers, and teachers offering daily meditation classes, one-on-one -on -one healing sessions, workshops, personal ceremonies, and private events, plus corporate and team training, all with mindfulness at the core. The center itself is located in the heart of downtown Spokane. Every part of it was built, designed, and curated for you to drop into your calm place. They have a large community space for daily meditation classes and workshops, as well as two one-on-one -on -one healing rooms, a community kitchen to gather for tea, plus a well-stocked apothecary for you to gather all of your self-care and ritual needs. Hannah Talbot, the owner and founder of Anamkara, dreamed of opening this space for years. It is her ultimate manifestation, and she cannot wait to share it with those in the Spokane community, but also through the virtual ethers, wherever you may be. Pop in for a class today. You can follow them on Instagram to book and stay up to date. Check out the website, the full schedule, meet the practitioners, and view all the offerings. Visit them at anamkarahealing.center. Anamkara, may you be nourished and ignited. And now an uninterrupted podcast with Jason Donaldson. All right, welcome back to our show. Uh, today I'm talking to Jason Donaldson. Uh, Jason and I actually have this weird, um, you know, like we meant to meet at the time in Hawaii and it didn't work out. And then Jason popped up at a sound bath that I did in Washington. And we kind of, I, I personally made the connection of dots as to, you know, wanting to meet you in Hawaii and not making that happen. And it just, you know, it reminds me that those people that you're supposed to meet in life, you'll end up meeting, you know, whether you feel like the opportunity has been missed or not, you know, thousands of miles and a couple of weeks later, here we are, you know, in Washington at the same time at a sound bath. So, uh, so Jason is a, a galactic shaman, among many other things, uh, living in Hawaii right now. And, uh, and I was introduced to, to Jason virtually by a former guest, uh, Seth and, um, and just everything that I've read about Jason and, and the way that Seth talked about you, um, it seemed like, yes, we're, we're destined to meet and we're destined to have a conversation at some point in time. Um, the things that you practice are just amazing. And I've, I've fished through your website, the content you have on social media, the conversation we had uh, a couple weeks ago. And, uh, and I'm just, you know, there's certain times where, where you meet somebody and you feel that initial excitement of like, oh man, this is something special. And I felt that. I mean, I actually remember, I remember standing outside the sound bath in Snohomish when you rode up on your motorcycle and you rode up and there was just something about it. I was like, oh, that's this guy. I, I, there, there's something about this guy. I don't know who he is. Obviously, he's here for the sound bath, but I feel like we're going to have a cool conversation. And you walked up, very open, personable. We just started talking right away and kind of got right into like Sec M and started talking about what you do. And I'm like, wow, before I even knew who you were, I'm like, flag this guy. He's awesome. I need to have a conversation with this guy. And then after the sound bath, I kind of put it together, which you probably already knew that we were supposed to meet in Hawaii. But 
the more I just start to look into what you do, the more excited I get. And so before we get into all of that, um, just first off, thank you so much for taking time. You're in Hawaii right now. I'm in Washington. I love these cross continent, cross the world kind of interviews. Um, and, uh, just thank you so much for being here, man. Thanks for uh, taking some time and, and sharing your journey with us. Yeah, absolutely. It's great to be here. And it was great meeting you. And that sound bath was phenomenal, man. That was really powerful. And thank you. Um, I got a lot out of it and the way you used your voice as well. It was, it was really, really a great experience for me. So thank you. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate that. So you, uh, so it, one of the things I love to talk to, um, to people in the healing professions about is their journey to get to where they are, because a lot of us have very interesting, sometimes tumultuous stories um, to kind of fish through all the things that we've been through in life to find the things that work and then to turn around and, and to offer that help for others. Um, so where, where did your kind of healing journey come from? What was some of the paths that you've taken to get to where you're at now? Uh, like madness, um, <laughs> addiction, uh, <laughs> doing everything the wrong way. Yeah. You know, it seems like, um, when I was younger, I was really just sensitive and I felt a lot of things and I had this really active mind, you know, really intelligent, but as we know, intelligence isn't always the best thing. It kind of was like a sharp sword that you can cut yourself with. So mm -hmm. I was often like mentally cutting myself with these thoughts and ideas that were being offered to me and I was believing them as real. And um, I didn't really realize until I was grown that a lot of the thoughts that are being offered are not mine or I'm just feeling something around me or um, it's just programming or some other you know, traumatic experiences kind of imp imprints this message into the mind. So there was that, there was like um, visitation with like what you'd call ghosts or beings, um, even feeling the energy of other people, like mm -hmm. just viscerally feeling like that emotion, you know, people call it being an empath and it's really just like seeing, sensing, and then dancing with what's there and kind of grabbing onto it because we resonate with it on some level. Yeah. And, um, so all that was present. I didn't really know how to deal with it. You know, luckily, um, my dad had more of a native American approach to like, um, spirituality and, mm great spirit and nature. So there was a lot of time in nature and that was really healing and helpful. And, um, but there was also this idea of witnessing society and seeing what works and hearing the leader speak and be like, I don't like that guy. I don't like what he's saying. I don't, something doesn't feel right, but everyone loves him and watching this pattern. And then with the movies and the things that were presented, especially to youth, you know, as a, as a young man growing up, it's like, well, if I want to have money and power and beautiful women and all these things I have to play this certain role where I don't really feel any emotion and I'm able to do things and it's almost like wanting to be a sociopath so there was a certain level of me wanting to not feel and to be able to um accomplish and gain things to be like a tough guy and all that hmm. but it really wasn't who I was and so I was like suppressing this Christic type being that was feeling things and here to um, be of service rather than personal gain kind of thing but when I was younger I didn't you know I didn't care I was like I want this thing and I I want to have this experience. And I found with like alcohol, I could kind of numb and deaden the nerve, you know, the nervous system in a sense where um, I felt like an exposed nerve in the, in the, in the world. And I would feel all these things, but with alcohol, it's kind of like dimmed it out. I could be the life of the party and I could talk to anybody. And so um, that ran its course and led to other things I was doing. And um, just, I never really hurt people, but I was like, a lot of it was like the things I said would hurt people, mm. you know, I didn't physically hurt people, but there was like, just not being very conscious. And, and at a certain point, right around my Saturn return, I started realizing like, I can't keep 
doing this. You know, I, I was getting overweight. I was losing my hair, like just all these indications. I had these experiences with demons showing up, like literally scratching at my back. Wow. And so I got this giant dragon tattooed on my back as part of this calling in this dragon energy, calling in these um, great protector beings. And really to help me like snap out of this kind of darkness I fell into um, and darkness, I just mean forgetting who I truly am and what I'm here to do and trying to play the game and not really be able to do it, you know, and uh, that led me to Arizona where I started training with um, this metaphysics teacher that was a tarot card reader and channel because I was just obsessed with past lives. And so that kind of helped me fill that void because I went to AAA and I um, did outpatient alcohol treatment and that all helped. And a lot of people will stay with like AA and, and it gives them the support they need. And then there's others that turn more to like spirituality or religion or like, or exercise or all of them together. And mine was like spirituality. Mine was like, Oh, that's the only thing that's filling this hole that I can't seem to fill with the alcohol and the cigarettes and everything else, you know? Yeah. So um, that just led me down this path and I found meditation and, you know, early on in this journey, uh, like I think for everyone, when they have this spiritual awakening and they start connecting with, with this esoteric information, it's like, oh my God, there's this whole other world and I'm going to win the lottery and I'm going to be a master of the universe and I can control my reality. And there's a certain level of truth to it. And maybe in certain lifetimes we can do that. Hmm. But in my experience is when that kind of wore off, I realized, oh, I'm not going to be able to attain those things. And um, the power is not really mine, but I can channel and I can help people with it. And the more I surrender, the more I'm led to what I would truly be a benefit versus what I, my ego wants and what I think. Yeah. That's it. Uh, that's important too, to, to, to find that discernment between the two, because like I, I, you know, growing up in corporate life, you know, uh, meditation was uh, introduced in a, uh, at a, I'd say early two thousands at like a workshop type thing. Right. And, uh, and it didn't stick at the time. And it was, uh, you know, part of the company thing, you know, they had a budget, they want to do wellness programs. They introduced meditation and, um, uh, and you know, the, the way it was produ- uh, presented back in the early two thousands, it was almost like a superpower, <clears throat> you know, it was like, Hey, sit for five minutes a day, find your breath and you're going to like sleep better. You're going to eat better. You're going to be a better human. Like all these things are going to get better in your life. And, you know, so presenting that package to a bunch of people in a corporate setting, but then not following up with like elongated training, I think actually kind of did a bit of damage because it presented like a false sense of accomplishment or a false sense of achievement. Um, and so, you know, and I, and I feel that a little bit with, uh, you know, a lot of that early mindfulness kind of practice that was introduced corporate wise. Um, you know, it was, it was done with all the best of intentions, but you know, if the follow-up doesn't happen a lot of times, like when you sit and meditate for me, for example, like when I finally got into meditation and finally sat down and understood what it was, I didn't realize until it happened that, that slowly this mirror was being like dropped in front of my face that showed me how just how I really felt about myself and how I really thought about myself. And it wasn't pretty at all. And so if you have that mirror in front of your face that drops down and shows you how dissatisfied you are with yourself in your life, but then don't have the follow-up to to chase that down and to unpack what that actually means, it can cause like this tailspin of just, you know, abandonment, you know, you don't know what to do next. And so like, I, I feel like there is a little bit of that, like, uh, kind of confusion that happens with some of those early meditation practices that happened in the early part of this, in this, you know, uh, millennia or the century. And, uh, but 
but meditation, once I finally got into it and understood it and embraced it, it's been the practice that's lasted the longest with me between yoga and meditation. That's just been the thing that has just kind of been my go-to now. Yeah. Cause like when we close our eyes and tune in, there's all this stuff there, emotion, thoughts, things, you know, and that's what, you know, everybody wants to raise their consciousness. And as you raise your consciousness, you become aware and more aware of everything. Mm-hmm. So it's like cultivating the witness of that and becoming like neutral as much as possible and just noticing. And then this bubbling up of like spirit of the heart of like the source connection, the oneness starts to emanate out because mm-hmm. that's our true essence. Everything else is just illusion and things being offered to have this experience and it's reality. But really we are love, peace, and joy, which every master told us throughout history. Right. Mm-hmm. But it's just, it's all this noise in the way. And so like, yeah, meditation definitely gets you there. And it is like a superpower it is, Magic happens when we tune into that space, but it's not necessarily something that can actively be directed. Yeah. You know, and um, that's that was kind of the, the hard part for me is like, if I meditate long enough, I will be like a master and I can create things and do that. And maybe that will happen at some point. I don't know. But right. um, yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it is helpful. But it's like my teacher, um, the metaphysics teacher I met, because prior to that, I knew magic was real. I knew all this stuff was real, but I couldn't find the information. It was blocked for me because um, other lifetimes I had, I didn't really use it appropriately. And it's not that I was evil. It's just like I wanted what I wanted, wanted and I could get it. So I did it. And um, I was shown that in other lifetimes. And in this lifetime, it's very much about being of service and keeping that in check. And so she was like teaching me like tarot cards and ritual magic and more like um, – the sacredness of like ritual and how we go about doing things. And this is present and everything yeah. like collecting you know, the elements and using the numerology and all these things. But like the totems, it was like no predator totems, no, nothing too intense. Cause it was like really coming into choosing the light versus this darkness that I thought was, you know, protecting me. And we see this in the culture a lot. You see the, the skulls, you see the, the intense, like angry looking things and, you know, because it kind of does work. It scares people away and makes you feel empowered. And, you know, it's cool, too. So um, there was like a lot of embracing that and then needing to shed it and choose the light because I thought the light was kind of weak and fluffy. And but this woman, you know, she was a four planet Scorpio Sicilian woman, really tough. And <laughs> she also taught me about being a man and what how I was treating people, you know, just from my infantile yeah. um, approach to like what I thought I needed and what I witnessed with my parents dynamic and everything else, you know. Not that my dad was a bad person or anything, but it's just, you know, a lot of emotion and a lot of like, this is what we're doing and that's the way it is kind of thing. So yeah, the iron fist kind of approach. Yeah. Yeah. But, oh, I got off on a tangent. I was just going to say like, she warned me before I set, I set down that path. Like you can't go back. Once you open this door, you can't unlearn what you learn. You can't unknow what you know. And there's a level of responsibility that has to be taken. So I had the warning. I don't know if everybody has had that, but it's like. Very true. I, I think it's important to have that warning. You know, it's, 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 you know, that careful what power can do for you, you know, and then you mm-hmm. can get drunk in the power. You can take it for granted. And, you know, it's funny you mentioned that, that previous life um, story just now and having, uh, you know, having been told that you kind of took advantage of this power in the previous life. And so in this life, you're using it for, you know, for giving and for, you know, for helping people. And uh, it, it, the, the reason I mentioned that is, you know, you know, as I look in this world that we're in right now, one of the things that I realize uh, is that, you know, when we, get introduced to something new as humanity a lot of times we we play with the toy in the wrong way 
like we'll break the toy. Like we look at technology right now, like we're all addicted to cell phones. Cell phones might become one of the most beautiful, like, you know, uh, introspective, you know, bringing together things that we've ever invented. But right now we're just playing, you know, dumb games and sending dick pics to each other. Right. You know? And so like, we're, we'll, we'll find better ways to use the, the information, but right now we got yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, we got to break the toy. And so like in that previous life and I, and it's also, it rem- reminds me of aesthetics, you know, because, you know, with the idea of aesthetics and reincarnation, let's say I take a vow of silence in this life. I'm doing that with the understanding that I'm going to come back the next life and be stronger with the voice that I have because I've, I've gone without this life, you know, that's the hope. Right. And so the, the idea of, you know, having that opportunity to, to see what that energy can do for you in that previous life and to use it whimsically at whatever will that you wanted, manifest this, get rid of that, you know, and all that in, like get the toy, play with the toy, understand the, the you know, how to use it, uh, you know, correct or incorrect, because in this next life, you're going to do some damn good with it. So you got to understand how to use it. You got to understand how to break it. So in this life, you can use it for the best that you can. Yeah. Cause that's what power is. If you can't abuse it, it's not really power. Hmm. You know, you don't really have power if you can't do harm with it. Right. Because, and, and, you know, that's why it's so crucial that, you know, we be present, we be aware of how we're impacting others. And even as like the work I do as like a healer and doing these ceremonies and doing individual work with people is I always got to turn the power back to them when they start saying, Oh my God, you're so amazing. And you did this for me. And this, it's like, you already had that, like this feeling you're feeling right now that you're feeling towards me. You, this is already in you. Mm -hmm. Otherwise you wouldn't be able to feel it. And I think that's what the new earth really is, is like no more authority figures, no more like people on pedestals. It's all like guides and, us reminding each other of our true essence and our connection with all things. And yeah. so, um, and the, there's a value of those other experiences. What we're coming out of it was very valuable to experience like power over others and what it's like to like lose control or to feel victimized or dominated. But, but really it's all a game. It's all an illusion after we die, you know, it, or even while we're still living, we can come out of that and be like, Oh, Whoa, I got caught up in this illusion, this dream I'm in and it can start to shift and change. Yeah. And, you know, there's ways of doing that. Yeah. And at a young age, you were saying that, you know, feeling those those emotions, feeling empathy and feeling you know, everybody else's feels and uh, and then utilizing a substance to kind of numb that because, you know, weren't understanding of what it was or maybe encouraged by, you know, an adult or a family member to explore that instead of, you know, maybe dismiss it as a, you know, as an imaginary friend or as a, you know, this weird sensation that, you know, we don't need to pay attention to that, you know, and, you know, I, the, with the people I work with, um, you know, in my healing sessions, a lot of people do have that similar story to where, you know, I grew up feeling things and I didn't understand it and I wasn't supported. So I started abusing a substance in some kind of way. And, you know, I, I think, you know, in, in that, that story, I, you know, I echo that story myself, uh, to, to an extent. And now in this life, what I'm trying to do as much as I can is to try to be that encourager to the little ones in my life that have similar stories that say, you know, we had a, we had a family stay with us not too long ago at the house. And, you know, one of the three-year-olds that was with us, I came around the corner and he's standing there looking in a corner of the house. And I'm like, Hey, what's, what's up Ace? And he's like, there's a guy with a mustache over there. And I'm like, there's nobody there that I could see. And, you know, but I got down next to him like, okay, does he seem nice? He's like, yeah, he seems nice. 
Like, cool, okay, do you get a good feeling from this guy? He's like, yeah, does he have a good mustache? Yeah, he's got a good mustache. And started asking him questions about it instead of just being like, no, 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 dude, get out of the corner. Don't look at your imaginary friend. Go back and play with your brother. You know, like, let's encourage that because I think, you know, there's, there's that veil is so thin at that young age that they could be seeing those things. I don't know enough to say he's wrong or he's right. But, you know, the line of questioning that I can, that I can give him can encourage him to explore these, these emotions and these feelings and these sights that he's having instead of just having an overarching adult dismiss it and tell him to go play with his toys. Yeah, that's beautiful, man. How powerful that is for all of us to have a little being that is connected to that world and see those things and have someone support that or yeah. just hold space for it, really. And that's what I see is like, you know, being a safe harbor for children where you know, they can come and just be in the presence of an adult and there's not this like diminishing of what they're experiencing. I mean, we still guide and set boundaries because mm-hmm. we have to. And if we don't, the kids are always going to push against that to find the boundary, but um, to just like support them and their unique expression is really powerful. Yeah. Thank you for doing that. Yeah. It helps everybody. Yeah. Most definitely, <laughs> man. Yeah. So where did, where did uh, yeah, the, the, the uh, move towards galactic shamanism kind of come into your practice and into, you know, what you do now and how you hold space for people? Yeah. So I went on this journey, like I said, with metaphysics and tarot cards and all these things. And um, I was aware of ETs and ships and I believe that was real, mm-hmm. but I never really had much interest in it. And then all of a sudden I started coming into awareness of like, um, extraterrestrials are like basically energies that aren't of this planet you know basically that could be ghosts that could be extra dimensional beings that could be even aliens that incarnate here which is like what i feel like i've had lifetimes on other planets and that's what people call like being a star seed or indigo is where actually aliens that incarnated here but we could have like thousands of lifetimes on earth too but um that started coming in my awareness and i started coming into the awareness of like what's called the negative alien agenda so like just like humans are certain beings that you know would prefer to have things their way and they want what they want because they're bigger or stronger they'll just take it and so I started focusing on that and I had some experiences that led me down this path where um I was seeing things that kind of I didn't understand and I found a community of people um this ascension community where I was in it for a number of years and I was a mentor in the community helping with these tools this woman brought forth which was like really working with our energy and how to um command our space and how to um, navigate these kind of beings and things, right? And liberating uh, energies that felt trapped or stuck Mm. on the planet and even just walking into a room and you feel the energy and you're like, oh, okay, I'm feeling that. Now what can I offer in response to that? What is desired in here? Or even just cleaning the space, like walking in and energetically cleaning it. And so that's what I do at a lot of the ceremonies I'm sure you're doing too, is like people shed things. And Mm -hmm. if we don't like help clear it, it kind of can lay there and it can drop into someone else and they can only take it on if they start thinking about it and believe in what's being offered from that energy. Right. But um, that led me down this path of uh, more and more energy work. And I met a man that uh, is a galactic shaman and he he's not as open about it. He's actually kind of had to hide and he's had more of what he felt like attacks and things of that nature. And he was ex-military and all that. But um, when I went and got a session with him, he saw me walk in and he saw me as a uh, as a fighter pilot and mm. he told me that. And I was like, that's what I always wanted to be. Huh. And so he did this like timeline clearing where I was a fighter pilot and um, which felt really great because I always felt like I messed up and should have been that. But I wouldn't obviously be the weirdo I am now <laughs> if I'd gone down that road. Uh-huh. But um, And he told me like, he's like you know, you can do what I can, what I'm doing. Like, cause he was doing these implant removals, like removing energy from my body 
like he saw weapons from other lifetimes and things of that nature. And I went there to get like these crucifixion seals removed. And he didn't do anything with that. And I don't even know if that's a real thing, but you know, it's talked about, mm -hmm. but he just tuned into what was really going on. And that's what he worked with. But he said, you can do this too. And he was saying how out in, out in the world, he'll, I was like, that's weird. I don't think I'd ever do this. And he's like, well, there's, I'll be at a gas station. He was saying, and somebody will have like a sword or something in their, in their head. Oh. He's saying how he'd walk over to him and say, Hey, you know, there's this sword in your head and can I remove it for you? And I'm just thinking, Oh my God, what a lunatic. You know? And <laughs> he said the person would be like, yeah, please. And they, he'd pull it out. He just, you know, gently grab it kind of like this and pull it out. And the person would be like, Oh my God, thank you so much. That's been bothering me for years. And I was just like, wow. And wow. now that's like what I'm doing, you know, is to just own it more and more and put that out there that, you know, this is, the ability we all have and um wow the more we tune into what's going on in the body the more we can become our own healers and even just you know breathing into those spaces and sending our consciousness to these areas helps pop that stuff out so yeah. that's a lot of what um, i do with people is help guide them and how to do their own healing work wow and um so with the the you know with uh with the th the sword example you know so with with amplant removal i should say is that you know is that like the the weapon that might have uh ended our previous life one of our previous lives is that kind of what that is is manifesting as so like the sword in the person's head in one previous life maybe that person was murdered with a sword through the head and that trauma was still there and so this person you're talking about can see what those weapons are that maybe took us out of the previous lives and remove that trauma yeah, so that's where I try because wow. I got caught up in the stories a lot okay. in the past, and it's all an illusion. It's all like, you know, energy. So I try not to get too caught up in the why of it, but it could be, yeah, a past life. And sometimes when I remove it, I'll see a past life. Okay, person happened, and I share that. Or sometimes it's a representation of somebody that has a very powerful mind, and they're cutting themselves with a, a continuous thought. Hmm. So it's almost like pulling that thought out, and you can't really fully remove it but you're clearing the space and then as you do integration with that person they're able to like um let go of that mm -hmm. you know core negative belief like there's these core negative beliefs that a lot of people have when i was doing men's work i would come through like not good enough unlovable uh, there's a number of other ones and so it could even represent that so a lot of times yeah it's like i tell people it's just this is what i'm perceiving it doesn't mean this is what it is but um, this is what we did. This is the work we did. And this right. is what came through. Because sometimes we can get caught up in, you know, who I, who was I in a past life and what happened? And really, we're all, all part of source. Right. So it's not really even us. You know, and we can tune into these other lifetimes and think it's us and get all caught up in it. And there's like five other people saying, well, that was me and that. I was that <laughs> being in the life, you know. Yeah. I was Cleopatra. And it's like, why? How is that possible? We get upset and we start to argue. And but um but we can all tune into that because we all are that. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that you keep echoing the, the idea that we're our own healers. And that's one of the, my favorite things to tell people. And uh, I'm not, I'm not doing anything to you that you can't do. You know, if anything, I'm giving you maybe some, some tool or some, some practice that you can integrate into yourself, but I'm not the, I'm not the magic sauce that makes that work. Right. That's all you, I'll hold the space. I'll share the information. I'll make sure that you're safe. But this is all your work to do. I can't move your boulders for you. I can't do all that stuff, you know, but I'll, I'll create the safest place and, and make you feel comfortable while you do it. You know, because I think that we need to empower people to know that you don't have to go to somebody. 
you can do this yourself. Like, yes, get help if you need help. Find the path of whatever path that you're on. But know that you are a strong individual and you have that ability to do this, right? You can do this all within yourself. And that, I think that's such an important message, especially for our little ones. You know, start at a young age, teaching them how to use their breath, how to understand meditation, how to use light to up and down regulate our systems. You know, all these different things that we can do that we're having to search for as, as we get to be adults to, to understand like, let's start layering that stuff into some kind of curriculum at a young age so these kids can be better set up to understand what these things are instead of, you know, going through addiction issues and going through sexual abuse issues, trying to figure out, you know, what path in life to figure out, you know. A lot of them do know, and then we're, like, programming them otherwise, you know. Yeah. Like, a lot of people aren't listening to kids when they talk, but you did. Yeah. That's what's so powerful. Like, you actually listened, and you didn't think it was just crazy because of your programming. Right. <laughs> like, what, the work you've done, you've shed enough of it to be like, oh, let me just be curious rather than think I know what's going on. Yeah. And um, same with like, you know, we can help activate people and we can help reignite that memory. And so sometimes it does take coming to a guide, you know, and, mm. um, but with the healing, it was like, you can remove things from people and it'll just come right back, you yeah. know, like entities and things like that, you know, and they're actually there for them and to remove it too soon or too much is, um, actually makes them sick and makes them scared because yeah. that stuff's actually serving us. Yeah. And people are like, how is this serving me? But it is or Otherwise it wouldn't be there. It's like the universe is always you know, working for us, not against us. Mm -hmm. Although it seems otherwise a lot of times <laughs> to <does>. our ego. <laughs> well, that's, it's like, funny. Why you, would I want this? <laughs> right. Well, it's funny you mentioned the ego because I was just about to bring that up because, you know, like when we, you know, early on in my healing journey, I, I kept hearing the, the, the phrase, kill the ego, kill the ego, kill the ego. And I think that was very popular in the nineties, early two thousands as an idea that you, you don't need the ego. It needs to get out of there. Right. And, and, you know, that was something that I kind of fell into for a little while. You know, I was very ego driven, very, you know, like numbers, results, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and I remember having a medicine journey and my, my intention in this medicine journey was to, um, to, to remove my ego. I was going to break out my spiritual crowbar. I was sitting with psilocybin in big dose. And I was like, my plan was when, when I was in, in the thick of it, I was going to get my ego out of there. We're done. We're done. We're severing ties. You get the hell away from me. And I got to that point and my ego's like, no, no, not at all. Right. Maybe you don't want me to drive the bus anymore, but there's three things that we're born in this life with karma, ego, and illusion, right? We need all those things. And that's part of our humanity. So not letting your ego drive, but still understanding that your ego plays a part in this, right? You still need that information from the ego. It just can't be the one that's screaming all the time anymore, right? We can integrate that information and integrate that part of us into something that's useful instead of the thing that's shaking its fist and screaming, it's, you know, screaming to get its way right there's that there, there there everything has a part we just need to figure out what level of each part needs to be played well that's the thing is and this is something that you know somebody had shared with me recently and it really resonated is like the ego well you know obviously the ego, ego is not even real right but the ego is like a neutral anchor in this reality it's like what gives us the ability to feel separate from source to come into this heavy dense like earth plane of existence and feel like we're separate to feel things other than love, peace, and joy, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, so the the trick is, is like with the ego, it's just been programmed to be the way it is. And so the more we can come into neutrality and the more we can, um, you know, to connect to that love, to connect with the spirit, the more the ego gets reprogrammed. And this is, you even get into the, like the subconscious mind with this, which is connected to the superconscious of our higher self. Mm -hmm. And it's like, 
basically shedding these old beliefs and ideas so that the, the ego isn't in charge and it's more of a neutral anchor. And, um, but it's very necessary. You can't kill it. Right. I, I was of the same opinion. I can just get rid of this. Thing. Right. But that's very egotistic in itself. Right. It's like the <laughs> ego trying to destroy the ego. It's never going to happen. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's like, we got to find that, that, that balance so we can utilize all this as our council of elders instead of just one person saying all the things and directing all the traffic. It's like, no, we have these, you know, these, you know, I, li- I like to think of uh, my spiritual family, right? You know, spirit guides, power animals, angels, ancestors, all that fun stuff as, you know, this council that kind of surrounds me and gives me the best advice that they think they can. And for so long, they didn't really have a say. The ego was just the one that's like, got it. No, I'm the CEO. You guys just answer letters and emails and mail and shit like that. I'm going to direct traffic for a while. And then finally get that ego back, you know, into a point to where it's not the one directing traffic and everybody else has a say, you know, and sometimes those, those whispers are very, very low and it's hard to hear, but I think that's where that strengthening, strengthening our intuition starts to happen. You know, we start to trust. And like we were talking about earlier, the faith and the understanding of the path and, and just being, being a part of it, stop trying to direct the path, being that Taoist middle path, right. And letting things kind of move you where they need to go, but taking your attachment to that directionality kind of out of it. And that can give us that, that more uh, release of that ego and just being on the path that we need to be on. Well, it's like, you know, what it brought up as you were saying that is, you know, because I was already like, what am I going to say next? And I was like, no, I'm just going to listen. And it was like presence is really so key. Because mm. if we're present, we know what to do in the moment. If we're present, we can actually see beyond what we think is happening. Because the mind is always offering a reality based on the past. You know, the ego offers things from the past yeah and that creates a new seemingly new future but it's always the same and it's like that's why you see people go around in circles same relation same type of relationship same type of job same type of landlord or whatever mm-hmm. like why does this keep happening to me it's because a lot of times we're looking you know the ego is designed to protect us and keep us safe and so um, a lot of people use that to try to navigate reality and i think of the ego is similar to the intellect and okay. so it only knows what's been programmed into it And so to know the future, it's got to look to the past. And so as we move forward and we're using the ego or the intellect, we're not really going to see what's truly available because we're using that part to feel safe and secure. So when we're really like expanded and at a higher level of consciousness or had a huge shift, it feels really weird and disorienting. And like there's insecurity that comes up. Mm. There's like a level of fear because we don't know what's going to happen. And that's again, the faith of like, okay, tuning into the spirit, tuning into our heart and be like, it's going to be all right. I'm okay. You know, whatever it is we do, like breath work, breathing, just breathe, you know, uh-huh. these deep belly breaths and then look around. It's like, Oh, there's no tiger in here. You know, yeah, right. there's exactly. no reason to be scared. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. yeah. Cause that consciousness, I mean, it, it's, it's, it, it, it takes us out of the pattern making brain, uh, you know, uh, the pattern making idea that our brain has to save energy. Like when we're very conscious and we're awake and we're aware, you know, whatever that defined uh, definition is for you, but that takes us out of the, you know, like, okay, I'm looking at Jason, Jason's a human. He's got pyramids behind him. I could just leave it at that. Or I could dial in and be like, Oh, he's got headphones, a necklace. The pyramids are different colors. You know, we can start to become more aware of what's going on. But if I just brush over it, you know, the consciousness is kind of out of it in the pattern making machine 
just kind of takes over. And so when we start to step into that consciousness and, and see things for what they really are, it can be exhausting. It can be very tiring because that we're using more of our brain than we're normally used to because we're actually seeing things for what they are instead of what we've just assumed that they are. And so that consciousness for a lot of us, uh, you know, it can be jarring at first, you know, just to see things for what you feel they really are instead of what you've just assumed they were for this entire time. And, you know, you're like my, my, my dog, for example, I've had my dog for 14 years. She's the best. I love her to death, but it wasn't until maybe the past, maybe five to seven years that I actually started seeing her as a fellow being and not just my dog. And that change in that consciousness of seeing her as a fellow being is changed our relationship. I mean, I, I can, I'm, tr I'm trying to like intuit what she needs when she looks at me now, instead of just being like, oh, she's a dog, go lay down and have a treat, you know? And it, it, it just like, it kind of changes that idea. And so consciousness for me is one of those beautiful things that can kind of, you know, reawaken you to this world and you can see it through fresh eyes. But the caveat to that in the beginning, at least for me, it was, it was so exhausting to be that, that aware of things and to have that much energy being put out into deciphering the world instead of just going through the pattern that my ego had created for it. Yeah. Well, because there's a tendency to want to like label things and um, categorize them. And yeah. so the more aware we become, the more we'll start to do that until at a certain point we just kind of let it go. And, and there's like this, um, you know, they talk about this with levels of listening. There's like all these different levels of listening. You get to a higher level, you become like the hollow bone mm. that Native Americans speak about where, you know, as a channel and people at channel understand this. It's just we, we let go of everything, let go of everything we think we know, and we just allow this energy to come through. And same with when we're talking to people or like what you did with your dog is like you just open to a field of energy rather than dog and right. moving on dog that you know and that's what people in the world narcissists move on right you know uh, bipolar move on <laughs> and that's the trappings of like you know the therapy world sometimes is um to label it and like oh this is what we need to do to fix this thing and as and no matter how high a level of consciousness a person has they can get caught up in that yeah that kind of illusion sometimes where oh this is my you know borderline patient coming in i got to get ready but that person could have had a huge shift like five minutes before they walk through the door, they could have this enlightenment experience and shed that whole personality disorder and they walk in and they're a totally different person. But because we're seeing them as, you know, borderline and where we got our guards up, you know, we're like, I got to be careful with this because, you know, the research shows this. And, you know, in the past I worked with this client, you know, it's just all this stuff comes in and it clouds like what's happening in the moment. And that's the beauty of um, the now and presence is everything can be different. Yeah. Yeah. Everything can change in the moment. Definitely. Well, I think that leads great to Seca, man. And, uh, you know, that's, uh, you know, we spoke about this before we hit record, but, you know, SECM is something that was um, introduced, to, the idea was introduced to me a, a number of years ago, but it was after I had kind of uh, already embarked on the Reiki energy kind of uh, journey with myself. And, um, and you know, it's, it's beautiful, like the more you know, right? The more you start to put yourself out there and learn about things and learn about life, you start to get these other things that start to come in that kind of, you know, accompany the, the information that you had. And then sometimes it's uh, totally demolishes the information that you had and you're like, Oh shit. Okay. Not Reiki, maybe second, you know, where, where did this, where lineage maybe not start from, but what's the origin, you know? And I love knowing like feeling the path of, of things from, you know, maybe an origin point that we know of to where we, we see it now. And, uh, and so SECM is, is a beautiful, beautiful modality. And uh, would you mind speaking to, you know, what that means to you, how you kind of got into uh, this practice? 
Yeah, because um, I never really trained in Reiki, mm -hmm. but like I said, I worked with a galactic shaman, and he said, oh, you can do this stuff too. And in meditation, I found myself removing energy from my body, and I was uh, calling in energy. I was becoming like a channel and um, doing grid work, and so like bringing in different flavors of energy, or, you know, we have these different awarenesses of things. And, and you know, with energy work, it's, you know, it's just the thing. It's just energy and then we put these labels on it right and and there's a modality created around it like earthing like the, you know, you've heard of earthing and grounding right it's this big thing but it's just something humans would naturally do but now because we haven't been doing it or we're not really taught it from our elders as much as in the past you know it's like this is really important and you should be doing this as a human which is true because you know and so there's a label put on it and like oh that's earthing and so and so invented it so um similar with sekhem and like reiki is it's just you know as humans, we naturally come to these awarenesses of things. You see this in every culture. Like every culture had a form of, has a form of energy work or, or um, ceremony or ways of um, initiating the youth, uh, marriage type ceremonies, like union ceremonies. All these things exist. And so with the Sekhem, um, it really goes back to like ancient Egypt, even before to like um, Atlantis and this understanding that we can work with energy, that we are energy. And that's probably how the pyramids were made with sound, frequency and vibration. And um, that's why it's so precise. Mm -hmm. And it's so, you know, stuff's so heavy. And so um, with that, I just wanted to say that for whatever reason. To, and there are specifics that are different between Reiki and um, Sekhem, but I'm not an expert in either, really. I do Sekhem, but I came to it through my guides. And I guess I'll start there with that story was, um, like I said, I've, I've always had this awareness of like beings and energy and things around me. And I used to think I was just crazy, but I get confirmation and, you know, things come through and I don't want to get into all the examples, but those of us, you know, we, we've had it happen enough times. You just like, I just know, you know, I, yeah. I can't prove it, but I know. It's that so gnosis, morning, right? Yeah, right, right. <laughs> and so one morning, you know, I was doing uh, like yoga and qigong and like a, uh, my morning practice, and I felt this presence off to the side, and it was um, Anubis. And I experienced him as very dark, you know, like this dark energy. And it kind of freaked me out a little bit. I was like, oh, that's Anubis. I, I kind of like Anubis, and I like kind of like, you know, seemingly dark energy, you know, mm -hmm. like the intensity stuff. It doesn't really scare me too much. I don't, there's certain energies, obviously, I don't want to be around, but like, um, it felt fine. It didn't feel dangerous or anything. And and this happened a couple of times. And I was telling people like, oh, I want to get an Anubis statue to put on my altar, you know, that little altar with candles and stuff at the time. And like, I don't know if that's a good idea because there's this whole idea that, you know, he's, you know, the guide in the underworld and there's this kind of darkness to him. But um, then I got like a massage from a friend twice, two different occasions. He's like, Anubis showed up and this is what he had to say. And Wow. So it sent me down this journey of embracing my Egyptian lifetime, which I really didn't want to do. It started out great, and then at some point, the planet and we as a collective decided to come into a phase of forgetting. So this um, idea that we're separate from God and that, you know, the source energy and oneness. And so there was like this idea of individuation and the things that we are taught by like Syrian beings, like our, our brothers and sisters, Kind of went to some of our heads like oh well i'm better than everyone because i know how to do this thing he can't do it i can do it you know like channeling energy more powerfully or whatever mm -hmm. and so um this kind of descended with all that where um and i'm totally getting off on a tangent with 
tangent away, my friend. <laughs> so, much to, so much to explain. But um, so when I connected that lifetime, it felt it didn't feel good. And it and what I realized later, I did a quantum hypnosis session where um, I was shown a lifetime where I was in, in Egypt as a priest and I was working with energy and I was working to help people not forget. So mm -hmm. we, we all knew what was happening. It's kind of like now we're coming out of that and we're all like ascending and we're coming into the remembering and stuff comes up with that. Yeah. So the same as it was going away, there was things coming up and this ego started coming online more and more and these thoughts that were like, you know, like, why is this happening? What's wrong? And so I was able to help people with that until a certain point where it kind of overtook me too. And what I was shown in the vision, I was like standing by like one of these pyramids behind me and I'm just like, had my hands in the air. I was just like, <gasps> like shooting energy out into the sky because oh. I liked that feeling of power. It just felt really awesome. So cool. I'm so amazing. I felt like a god, you know. Yeah. But what I was really doing is I was depleting the earth energy and I was just shooting it out just for like this ego gratification. And so, like in this lifetime, it's about helping heal the earth and heal the people to come in back into the remembering. And um, so as I connected with this lifetime and with these uh Egyptian beings, um, they, they're called gods, but they're more like our star brothers and sisters, and they're not to be worshipped. They're you know, it's like annoying to be worshipped, right? If mm. you're in, in more advanced being he's like oh come on get up you know it's fine right. just talk to me you know like celebrities sometime or like okay don't freak out just say hi you know yep, yep. <laughs> i'm just a, i'm just a being like you right yeah so that led me to this woman that was teaching uh second uh uh energy work and i was like well you know i'm doing energy work already and yeah this resonates and um she helped me she did, I had a couple sessions with her she helped me work with these two beings in particular that were um often used in black magic hmm. And because they're like, um, it's not even so much beings, it's like a cosmic energy that we can work with, like any of us. And what I come to realize with this is um, they meet us at the level we're at. And so if we're working from our hearts and we're really um, in a place of like uh, wanting to be of service and help, that's how they match us. If we're more like ego driven and wanting certain things a certain way, then they come in that way as well. Hmm. And um, so it's really just like a creational force we can work with. But the time period we're co coming out of, less and less of that will be, um, it's not even tolerated, but just won't be possible because it's like I can't stab my own hand without feeling it. And it's the same with my brothers and sisters. You know, the more and more people are going to realize, like, when they're doing these things that are um, kind of harming others, it's going to come back at them faster because that's just unity and coming into oneness because we're all one. And um, so anyway, that's a long story about how I got into the Sekhem, but um, this is a series of initiations to become, uh, to go through these different levels. And it's different from Reiki as far as I understand, because I haven't done any Reiki training. Mm -hmm. We have attunements, but we work more through the soul chakra okay. and the earth chakra. And there's also um, initiations you go through. So it's like these guided journeys, guided meditations where you can go and meet with the various Natiru that are... Um, associated with the chakras and uh you're able to meet with them you're given gifts and insights and also experiences will happen out in the world like um one of the ones i did i was working with anubis and um that night i hit a black dog and it really upset me but it was really unavoidable it was like i was driving i was just leaving a uh, breathwork ceremony i'd done and i wore all black that night too i was just really feeling that energy yeah and i'll get into what the black represents um but, you know, there's this guy walking down the road. And so I was watching him. And then right as I was driving by him, this I saw this dog 
dart out, like walk right out in front of me. Oh, I hit it. And, um, you know, luckily I live in Hawaii and a lot of very present people, very conscious. And luckily there was a Kanaka here, a Hawaiian man that was um, nearby and he heard, you know, heard the, the dog um, being upset and, yeah. you know, all that. And he came out and, you know, I didn't, I just was standing there and I was trying to like hold space for what's happening. He came over and was holding the dog and helping it transition. Mm. And, um, and it was somebody's dog that lived up the street. They said um, that he'd, he'd just gone to prison and I guess the dog wasn't being treated real well, apparently. And um, it was out looking for its owner. Mm. And, you know, my, I met with my teacher about it. I was like, I was really upset about it. And he's like, well, that was like, like that, that, being one to leave. And that was part of like this process I went through. And it seems really horrible and tragic, but it, it got me to like be present with um, responsibility to not run away from something like that. Cause wow. I could have easily just drove, drove away. Yeah. Um, there was all this guilt I held, held about it. And that man held, held the dog and was calming me because I was just like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. And this is horrible. And, and he's like, it, you know, it's fine. We just got to let them know they're not alone and it's okay. So um, I'm not sure why I'm sharing that example and maybe people judge this as an evil modality or something, but it was like a, <laughs> it was like a process that came up through that. Yeah. And, um, and cause death isn't really anything evil or dark or scary. And that's, I think maybe why I'm sharing this is it's um, in the Egyptians, you know, they were viewed from like a Greek lens that um, the underworld wasn't really the underworld. It was the inner world. And so like Anubis is the enlightened heart shaman that shows the way through like the inner world, the internal and um, the energy is dark because he creates his own void space. So like a shaman is someone that can hold neutrality in various environments and they create their own void where I see we're all in a void space, which is like a creational field and then it's filled. Mm -hmm. And so to hold your own void is to be able to be in a field of energy and uh, hold space essentially. Yeah. And, um, so that's, that's a lot. <laughs> that, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting that you, you brought up the, um, you know, the, the, the idea that the dog, the being, you know, wanted to leave this, this, this realm and was looking for that kind of that, 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 um, that path. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm, I read, I try to read the Mahabharata and the Ramayana like once every couple of years These old, like 800,000 plus year old, theoretically 800,000 year old, um, you know, poems that were written in, uh, in, uh, in ancient Sanskrit and stuff like that. But the reason I bring it up is that there in those books, they, they talk a lot about dying with honor. Right. And so let's say, um, you know, in, in these, in these books, they're, 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 uh, I think they're in the second yuga, right? So they're in the Hindu lore, there's four yugas and, and each yuga lasts about 27,000 years. And each yuga, as we progress down, we get more quote unquote ignorant. Um, and so this would have been, these are theoretically would have been written in about the second yuga of life or something like that. So there, there's the idea that there are gods. We know that there's gods, but they're not roaming the planet. You know, there's people that are pious and, and holy and things like that. And they answer to the gods, but the gods aren't roaming the planets like they used to. Right. So that second yuga, we still understand they're there, but we're a little more in the, in the human realm. And, you know, and so let's say somebody um, loses their honor, right? So I've dishonored my family, I've dishonored whatever it is. 
there was a way to die with honor. You could go into one of the holy wars or one of the battles that were happening and you could fight for your country, fight for what you thought was right, but knowing that you're probably going to die, right? Because of what, you know, the violence that you're going to be a part of. But with that, you're transitioning and you're going to idea, like that idea of reincarnation again, you're giving yourself to this battle, right? To the, the, the thing that you believe in, uh, in, in, a, in a very righteous way because you're probably going to die. And in that next life, you'll come back with a little bit more of that valor, a little bit more of that understanding. But we've kind of gotten away from that in these worlds, you know? And I'm not saying that we should create a, an atmosphere to where you can die with honor, or die with dignity or whatever it is, right? But there, that used to be such an option for people that, you know, felt like they've maybe lost touch or, or didn't do right in this world. And so just the idea of that being that dog, you know, saying like, okay, so owner's in jail, I'm not being treated right. How do I honorably leave this world so I can go into the next realm and see what's going to be next for me without taking, basically taking my own life, right? And so it's just, it's, it's interesting. And again, I don't, I'm not saying that we should get back to a point to where we should have that, but that is being an option for so long to still die with honor and die with dignity and die with valor in some kind of way with the whole idea of reincarnation coming back and having that energy be part of that next step for you in this next life. Well, that's kind of like what we were speaking of earlier is that um, like the ego death or a form of dying that we go through and to be reborn and experience something different. Mm -hmm. And like in A Course of Miracles, they call it like atonement, like undoing something, undoing the beliefs of um, who we are and what we are so that we can become something more in line with our true essence and sometimes people leave for that. And sometimes people go into other timelines. Seemingly, I've always felt like, you know, somewhere that John Lennon, Bob Marley, all these guys are still alive. Like they were never assassinated, but because of the beliefs and ideas that I held, I lived on a timeline where they left, you know, seemingly they died in my timeline, but they actually went to, they're still living in somewhere else. Right. Like that's the, the total weird quantum aspect of what we're living in our frequency and vibration is uh, it seems like someone died, but they're still existing, right? You know, and they're probably in just another realm. And we know this actually from, um, you know, when someone dies, that they come to visit. Like, mm. there's tremendous amount of um, documentation on this fact that, especially the three days after someone passes, there's this vis visitation, either in a dream or standing at the foot of the bed or seeing the person out, hearing their voice. Um, we could say it's psychosis or whatever, but it was. You know, so commonplace that it, you know, it's like them letting us know, hey, I'm fine, I'm great, and like, it's not like we should take our, intentionally take our lives because we're here for a reason, and it's a tremendous opportunity, no matter how intense and horrible it feels, to like work through that stuff. So that, like you said, yes, we in other lifetimes and other experiences, or what I experienced with, um, I had a lot of past life regressions and things in dreams. I experienced what it's like in between lives and really the best way I can describe it to people is when we die or for me anyway, it might be different for everyone. But when I died, what I experienced was like during life, I was looking all around my house for my glasses. Like, where are my glasses? Where are my glasses? You know, I can't find my, my glasses. And then I died and I was like, Oh, there's my glasses around my head. Uh, you know, it's like, I never really realized how beautiful I was or how intelligent or how strong or how blessed I was or how many people truly loved me and supported me. I couldn't really see it until I died. And so now in this lifetime, I think this where we're all at on this planet, 
is we're all getting to that level of mastery, mastery where we're starting to see these things mm. where it's coming forth before we die. And it's the opportunity to become like masters. And that's what um, Bashar says, you know, uh, Bashar is like a um, extra dimensional being from the future okay. that uh, is channeled and he has all this wealth of information that he shares. And one of them is like, um, if you're on this planet at this time right now, you're on the path of mastery. And also his definition for abundance, I just got to share is um, the ability to do what you need to do when you need to do it. Ah, love that. <laughs> I know, right? Hell yeah. Takes a lot of pressure off. <laughs> yeah, definitely. There, uh, do you, uh, do you know the name Charles Eisenstein? Does that ring a bell to you? familiar he's a uh, author he's kind of a prolific speaker in our time and just uh pretty just pretty dialed in kind of guy I, I just i really appreciate where he's at with life and the way he speaks to life but um but he talks a lot about like um the idea of remembering you know and and we've you've you've spoken about this a little bit through our talk today but it's you know the idea that you know not only are you remembering something like say i forgot something i remembered it but it's the idea of the reestablishing of your member, you as a member, right? And so the way he kind of talks about it is that, you know, say you find something passionate in this life that you're in, right? Let's say SecM, right? So SecM came across your path and it was like, oh my gosh, this is, I love this. This is, I can, I can get with this. I understand this. And so the idea is that you're remembering something that maybe in a previous life or in a previous existence, that was something that was very prominent in you as a, as a practitioner or as a human being or whatever being you are. And now that you're, you're rediscovering that in this life, that light lights up in you because basically you've just found a puzzle piece. You just put that puzzle piece back in wherever that, that, that missing piece was. And so like, you know, there's all these little Easter eggs around the world, around this, this life that we live that can be those little puzzle pieces for us. And they can help us remember ourselves and reestablish that self of a member. And I just that's such a beautiful concept for me to think about. And now that, you know, I'm, I'm a little deeper into this path it can be like the most random, seemingly random conversation that something kind of comes out of that can be one of those little remembrances for me. It can be, you know, taking a walk outside and having the wind just kind of brush a scent across my nostrils that I can't remember where I know it from, but I know it and it makes me feel good inside, you know? So I think there's all these things that are around us that we can help to reestablish that, that human that we are in this realm uh, that can be kind of that culmination of the importance, the important things from our previous lives you know, kind of all making their way into an opportunity for you to, to see it in this life, whether you do or not is up to you, but finding those little nuggets and then putting those pieces back into you and then finding that remembering of you as a person. Yeah. And that's, you know, ascension is like integration mm -hmm. and a lot of ascension is the emotions coming up to be felt and to be reintegrated is a lot of those emotions are like children in a sense. And we don't really need to do anything for them, but hold space and breathe a lot of times. Like as the emotion comes in, mm. just breathe with what's coming. And there's usually a message and information that comes from just breathing and being present. It's not really a thinking thing. It's, in fact, the mind will come in to try to label it, to try to console it, to try to do anything, but actually feel it. Mm. And so when we actually feel it, um, we get our juice back, we get our power back, we get our connection to the oneness and yeah, the, the parts come back and then all of a sudden more things show up because um what i've come to realize is and this is fairly recent too is that you know we're always feeling emotion we're just distracting ourselves mm. and then when we meditate when we slow down when um i get people doing breath work it starts to come up 
and a lot of people are afraid of it. It's like, no, feel that, allow that flow. You know, if water is, you know, emotion is like water, you allow that flow. But the only thing that's going to keep it in place and kink and, and restricted is the thoughts being offered. Hmm. And they're just being offered. They're not true. You know, it's the illusion. It's the ego making it seem like something other than love, peace, and joy is there. And so if we allow that flow, we allow that expression, that part of us starts to feel more safe and is with us more often. And that way, when we're doing something in the world, like we um, have this event we're about to do, or we're about to um, go out on a date with this person we're really excited about, we're not going to sabotage it because as we start to feel better, you know, that emotion comes out to get our attention. And if we've already worked with that emotion or when it's coming out, we can breathe and help it feel safe. We're not going to sabotage that external thing. And that's what a lot of people are doing is um, we're sabotaging the thing we want because it scares us because it goes against the beliefs we took on. Like, I'm not worthy of this. You know, there's like, maybe my big thing is like, I'm not good enough. So there's this part of me that's doesn't feel good enough. And if I don't listen and, you know, be with it when it comes up, when I go to do something um, that I really want to do and I'm excited about right before I do, it's like, oh my God, I don't want to do this and I'll, I'll get sick or some, some, cata- you know, like I'll get in a car accident or flat tire. And it's like, why did that happen? I wanted this thing. It's because I didn't really integrate that part because yeah. it's all being manifested externally. And that's the thing is when we come in and we do the work in that way, it changes our whole external reality rather than trying to move the external around because that's impossible. And that's what a lot of us are trying to do. Yeah. And myself included, I still get caught up in it. Yeah. Yep. (laughs) Totally, man. White knuckling joy, you know, just trying to like make it happen, force it in there. And, you know, I heard somebody talk the other day and it was really kind of just one of those slap in the face moments, but it was saying like, you you know, you could have all, all of your six senses or your five senses. Perfect. Right. Your touch, your smell, your sight, your hearing, your, your taste, everything working perfect. But if you're depressed or you're anxious, all of that stuff that you're sensing goes through your consciousness, right? And that's how that processes it. So if you're, you know, you're in what would be considered a a seemingly safe place, right? You're surrounded by safe people. But if your uh, your anxiety is is triggered, then it doesn't matter. You could be sitting next to the Pope, right? And then all of a sudden you're like, oh my God, I'm just, I'm so anxious and nervous and I can't get anything right. And my st- now I'm starting to sweat and all these things are happening because all of that is still moving through us, you know, and that, that illusion that we have of I'm not enough. Who am I to be here? Why did I get gifted this idea? Whatever the, you know, whatever story that you have, you know, we start layering all those what ifs and the, the ideas in there and it just kind kind of sends us into these manic states. So it's that, you know, it's that understanding of, okay, so I feel an emotion that's rising up. I'm going to start to breathe into that emotion, understand it, but not let the thing take over. Right. It's just like, you know, I used to do meditation groups for kids and the, the, one of the best ways I found to explain this to kids was, you know, think about, you know, your mind as a lake, right. And all the, the fish that are floating around in the lake are your emotions. Right. But those fish aren't the lake and the lake isn't the fish. Those are just things that are in the lake that's in your mind, right? So you can watch your, these fish flow by, right? You don't have to be the fish. You can just watch it float on by. But the moment you start to be the fish, that's when the emotion takes over and you stop being the lake and you, now you identify with what that fish is, right? And so it's just like, how can you be the lake? How can you be the lake and just let the, you know, watch anger float by and, and see the message that anger has to give you, but not become anger, you know, see the understanding that maybe depression has to give you, but not become depressed, you know? And so, and just, you know, being the witness to the messages, but having the discernment, whether or not to act on them. 
you know, it's just such an important kind of message to get to, uh, to everybody, but especially I think kids. Yeah. It's like, you're just experiencing it. I always use the analogy of a fart. Like, okay. you know, we smell a fart. It's like, Oh, you know, it's not your fart necessarily, but you're experiencing it, you know? And it's like, most people don't stand there and try to keep smelling it. They get away <laughs> from it. But what a lot of us are doing is we, we're like, oh, is that my part? Or, you know, it's like, well, what did I eat? What is, oh, what did they eat? Just, like, that's what we're doing with our own emotions. Yeah. Like, we're trying to figure out our emotions. And it's just an experience and something to, you know, be with. And, and it'll pass mm-hmm. rather than stand there and kind of keep trying to, you know, figure it out what it is. You yeah. Know, kind of thing. It'll just naturally flow through us. But honestly, what I experienced is, it got worse <laughs> and not so much worse, but I became more aware of just how much was there. And so, you know, when somebody starts that work, they're going to become more aware of the emotion. And then what it feels like to me is like, I got this little child self of me, you know, like a little five-year-old Jason out in the world with me and he's kind of scared and he's kind of timid. And I don't like that feeling, especially as a man, because mm-hmm. I feel like it makes me more vulnerable and um, a target or whatever. But what's weird is the world responds more positively towards me because I don't have that shell up because I'm actually showing more of my emotion and um, and I'm, it's actually easier to smile more because that kid is like, yeah, let's go. You know, at first he, he's kind of like scared and but once he gets in the environment and realizes it's okay, there's no tiger, it's like, oh yeah, you know, this childlike exuberance comes out and I think that's really what Jesus was talking about mm-hmm. is to be a child in the world and that's what I really want to see in the world is um, – you know, our children to all be free, us inside and external representations. And um, I think a lot of that's as we do the work with our own inner children, the external ones are going to be free. The external expression of childlike joy is going to be free. I I can, I look at like what you did with that child's perfect example. You know, that's the world we're living in is like, people are going to start to wake up and be like, whoa, wait a minute, I'm going to be calm and I'm not going to just do what my parents did. Not that they did anything wrong. It's just like, you know, it's easier to just be like, Oh, this is not good. Or this is what this is and move on versus, you know, embrace that maybe it's okay that this is happening. And, you know, my kids running across the store playing or whatever, you know, like we want to try, try to control them so much. I love, I love the, the youth of today and I can't speak to when I was a youth of that day, you know, in the eighties and nineties, but, uh, I've got two daughters, uh, 19 and 14. And then, you know, all these little kids in our life from different various ages. And, uh, and what I just really appreciate is the non-acceptance of just the way things are. Right. And there are some kids out there that just, you know, go with the flow and they'll do whatever that is, you know, but I've got so many kids in my life that just are like, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't get that. I don't understand why you work so much. I don't understand why you drink. I don't understand why you, whatever it is, uh, why society is the way it is, why, you know, I'm going to be in debt the rest of my life because of student loans, why I can't afford to buy a house, why I have to do all these things. And I'm, I applaud that so much because like to the point you were making earlier, like the shit just, we, we've accepted so much as to this is just the way life is. And, and, you know, a lot of times we just accept that, that it is, you know, we've, we've learned the rules of the perceived game and we just know when we're playing the game, but there's this mass group of, of, of humans now that are coming into this world. They're like, no, 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 this doesn't make sense. I don't agree with this. I don't want your, you know, 40 hour week job. I don't want to, you know, you know, 401ks and insurance. I don't want that shit, right? I want something different. 
And I, I'm applauding that so much because that on a mass scale needs to happen. You know, we've, 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 you know, played this, uh, this finite game for a very long time. Right. And for, you know, somebody to win, somebody has to lose. And that's just the way the game's set up. So how do we play it? How do we adjust the parameters to play this infinite game so that everybody can, everybody can have a piece of the pie, whether it's equal or not, we're all still surviving. We're all still living. We're all still thriving. And we just adjust the, the parameters of, you know, maybe what success feels like, or maybe what, um, you know, full time looks like, maybe what universal basic income looks like all these different ideas that are out there in the world that have been just kind of shut down because of, you know, whatever reason, I see a lot of these kids that are coming through here and they're like, no, let's revisit some of this stuff because this just, this shit just doesn't work. And like, I'm so excited for that. I don't know if I'll be alive to see the full breadth of what that means, but the fact that these kids are, are, are that kind of angsty and that, that just, you know, disenfranchised with things they haven't really even stepped into yet. I'm so excited to see where this kind of realm takes them and these kind of ideas take them and just let them, let them be free with these ideas and see, you know, how we can change society in some kind of way. Yeah. Oh, it's like little masters incarnating, right? Yeah. And, you know, and you know, the indoctrination and the programming isn't working as well. And, you know, a lot of parents aren't as strict as when we grew up and yeah. the world is different. And, um, yeah, they're not really necessarily forced to fall in line with things like we were. And, um, and I, I think that's good because like, I found myself doing that sometimes too, where it's like, well, this is how I was taught and this is the way it is. And, you got to respect me and this and that. It's like, well, there is a truth to that. I mean, there's got to be boundaries and rules because, you know, they like, they can be a little master, but they're 10, you know, and they still need guidance and, you know, they still haven't experienced enough to like fully step into that. But um, yeah, it's really like a great teaching for all of us to be like, well, wait a minute. Yeah. Maybe, maybe I don't need to work this hard. Maybe they, it's okay for them to stay up later or whatever and learn by like not being able to get up in the morning, but getting up kind of thing. Yeah. So yeah, it's interesting. It's, um, it's not an easy task to be a parent. I've seen that firsthand. I don't, I don't have kids. It's really weird. Um, I, uh, I don't have kids. I've never been married, but I, I got a degree in marriage and family therapy. Oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I was a student and I listened when everyone's like, don't get married and don't have kids. But I also saw the beauty of it too. And the connection that comes from that. Yeah. And I'll probably never know that, but, um, uh, it's not easy, especially with single parents and, um, and then, yeah, these kids are very like, you know, headstrong and they're like, you know, I'm not going to do it that way and I don't have to, and you can't make me. And it's yeah. like, wow, that's kind of helping us all like snap out of it. And there's so many definitions of how we think people should act anyway. And it's like, do we really need to follow that. Yeah. Is that really true? Yeah, I think we should, you know, you know, and again, with the, the breaking of the toys, I think the advent of Internet and the, the, the expansiveness of cultures now being able to be understood in vast you know, corners of the world, I think it's kind of helping that to understand that there there isn't just a way to do it. You know, like in the West, you know, we've, you know, maybe maybe thought that this was the way like capitalism is the way, you know, economics is the way, you know, because that's all we knew for a long time, because we couldn't really get outside of the borders unless you did travel. There wasn't Internet, you know, we could call people and shit like that. But now that we have like an understanding of like what happens in Tanzania, what happens in Australia, what happens in all these different places, we can start to look at the cultures and what's accepted and what's not. Like I love looking at places like Denmark, you know, with, with the, the way they approach schools and the decriminalization of drugs and safe injection spots and all this stuff. And all these things seem so esoteric and weird and non-conventional, but 
in a way they're all working for that country and that's beautiful. Right. And so just having that opportunity to, to look in real time at these different corners of the world and seeing what's working can kind of start to dissolve what we've just like iron fisted as no, this is the way life is, you know, no, it's not. There's so many different ways to approach it. Shit. Even in America, you can be uh, recognized as a different gender or, or be a different race and have a very different experience than say a white male. Right. And you're living within the same boundaries of the same country, theoretically in the same laws. Yeah, what's the remembering of like the divine human? Like we've been taught and told what a human is and that they're flawed and all these things, but really humans are divine and they're stewards of the land and they're connected to nature and they're um, we intuitively know what what we need and we know how to connect to spirit and all these things we are born with and it comes in and um, a lot of it has been like forced on us to think otherwise and to be put under spell essentially to be programmed. I mean, they even call TV programming, right? Yeah. I still like it. I still watch movies and stuff. I'm into it. But I also see how like every sitcom I watched as a child, it was like, this is what a man is. And this is what a woman is. And then they never really get along. And, you know, men are never going to understand women and just this whole like story. And then so you go to someone's house, and it doesn't happen as much here in Hawaii, but it still does where men are all in one area and the women are in another area, you know, and there's some like, yeah interaction but mm -hmm. it's just funny to watch you know how it just falls into this pattern and um yeah because i was doing i was working with uh in men's groups and they're like you know women can't do this kind of work and blah, blah blah this is warrior energy i'm like well i was in a mostly community full of women that were doing more this work you know <laughs> yeah so i was just like i know that's not true and then you know and then there's this recognition of spirit and like Maybe I don't want to identify with a specific gender, you know, you know, there's the biological aspect. And then there's like, well, wait a minute, I'm not really, you know, just a white man either. I've had like many other lifetimes and mm -hmm. many other things. And um, so it's, yeah, it's really interesting. It's a confusing time for a lot of people that try to make meaning out of things. And then, you know, just this, so many, so many people arguing over uh, just concepts and ideas and rather than really get into like, what's the person really saying? What do they really want? Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of it's just to be acknowledged and accepted as they are. And, um, yeah, that's, that's a big talk topic to get into with sports and everything else. You yeah. know, there's certain things that, you know, again, boundaries and parameters around things, same yeah. with the kids, like, yeah, they're wise and they know, but they still need a parent. They still need guidance. Yeah. And yeah. Ultimately, you're the parent, you know, Yeah. no matter how advanced they are as a soul or whatever, you know, it, you still got to be the parent Yep. and it, not everyone's like, there's no such thing as a perfect parent. Right. Oh God, that no, sense. God, no. And I think, you know, it's funny because I think the, the, the kid needs the parent as much as the parent needs the kid, right? You know, that yeah. kid needs to have that guidance, but that parent needs to be shown the freedom too you know, and, and to maybe blow up some of the previous, you know, understandings they had, but then to use that, that age and that discernment from having that age and that experiential experientialness that comes with age to say, okay, cool. Well, I see the way you want to approach this. This is the way life is right now. So let's find a way to like, you know, make this malleable. How do we work these together to where you can understand this life that you're wanting to understand, but also knowing what's going on out there that's already kind of been predetermined. 
right? So you can be as best set up as you can. And, you know, maybe, you know, blow apart some of the parental, uh, you know, uh, boxes that we have and provide some structure to the child, but also let that child, you know, like say, okay, that, that structure doesn't really make sense. And then like have the parent really kind of be the parent with that, you know? So it's like that, it's that symbiotic relationship, you know, as free as the kid is and as, as tethered as the parent is, each one are going to help each other kind of either find the freedom or find the, the, the understanding that they're working within. Yeah. And there would have been a lot more help in the old days too. And we had villages and like tighter communities where, you know, aunties, uncles, the, you know, the grandparents would be there to help guide and, because it can't always come just from the parents. No. You know, that's why we were doing mentoring because there's just times when they're not going to come talk to mom or dad about certain things and, mm-hmm. um, and they want to experience, you know, information from their peers and everything else. So it really does take a village to, you know, raise a child and um, have them be able to thrive. But we also live in a time where, um, you know, to, for me to call myself a galactic shaman, I didn't really want to embrace the word shaman because I'm not trained in any like traditional, um, uh, cultural practice, but I've seen an overview of so many of them and I've connected with like, uh, my spirit guides and like these experiences in other lifetimes and just an inner knowing and how I'm guided, like to be doing breath work ceremonies. That's nothing I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. That just came forth. And, um, it's just this idea that in the West, you know, if I was younger, you know, even lived in India, somebody wouldn't recognize what I could do or who I was or what I was experiencing. They put me with someone to work with and I'd go down this path in a traditional way and be a Brahmin or something or whatever. And I don't know much about Vedic. I studied more of the Western stuff, but um, Mm -hmm. it would have been a different life. And I would do things as they did it, as the tradition is. And maybe I'd, you know, go off track a little, but it'd be like, Oh, you don't do that. You do it this way. But in the West and how we all experience like this big mixing of everything and everyone and cultures, we're kind of free to like mix and match. And there's this idea of appropriation, but like in the West, that's all we had. Like we didn't really have much spirituality. We had like, you know, church and stuff, but it didn't really fill me in the way I know it helps a lot of people, but it never really did it for me. And so I had to go out looking for it and um, I had to look within really ultimately is where a lot of it came from. And then teachers show up and always it's like, I got to move on. Like they're seeing something that I, I'm seeing something they're not seeing and I got to move on to the next person kind of thing. So yeah, it's a really cool that, you know, for those of us that grew up in the U S as much as we knock it, we're kind of free to be who we are, you know, more and more. Right. And we don't have to follow tradition. Yeah. Yeah. There wasn't a lot of, uh, a lot of preset cultures and traditions, you know, and I think that as, as, uh, maybe as whimsical as we were with the appropriation back in the, you know, w- before we really understood what that meant. Right. Uh, yeah. But, you know, I, I, I wrestle with that word and that concept a lot myself. Um, in in the, the, the first time that really kind of like made me just sit and think was um, I was sitting in a meditation a, a number of years ago and um, chanting started coming out of me. And it didn't, I, I've never chanted before. I don't even like to sing. Um, it just doesn't, you know, it didn't really land with me, but I started chanting and it was, you know, just ohms at first, maybe om mani padme hum, you know, some of the stuff that I'd heard in yoga classes, but it just started coming out of me. And then I started to resonate with some of like the Hindu deities and, and I, you know, finished that meditation and I'm like, I, I, I can't do that. I'm, I'm not, a Hindu man. I'm not Indian. I'm not, you know, I, I, I don't have the cultural right in my opinion to explore this and to do this, but it kept happening and it kept coming back. 
to the point to where like I started to learn and, and do more digging into, you know, Hindu deities and gods and goddesses and the chants and what I was going through. And, and I finally came to the answer that, you know, is, is through the help of my spirits, but it was, this was presented to you for a reason, right? Honor, honor to the best of your abilities, where that information comes from with the understanding that appropriation was a thing and is a thing, but don't ignore the fact that this was presented to you for a reason, right? Just because you're not a Hindu man doesn't mean you can't chant. And so, and that was a beautiful message to me that, that, you know, we can explore these cultures. We can explore, um, to the best of our abilities and honoring on the way to do that, these different ideas in life, like Taoism or Buddhism or whatever it is that you want. Um, but just to, 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 to dismiss that because it doesn't fall within your either skin color, your culture, where you live in the world, I think I, th- I really hope we get past that because I think that's one of the reasons why the internet and this global communication is so important is so we can know what's going on across the world and we can know the, some of these practices that have, that have been so helpful for humanity and not just flounder around in the world and just try to, you know, quote unquote, do the best we can. Yeah. Cause there's some people that will intentionally go take things and, and use them and yeah. exploit them. And that's happened way too often. Definitely. And, um, but like what you're saying, you know, that's like a soul calling. Like that's an aspect of your soul where you probably lived at least one or two or a hundred lifetimes, you know, with that experience. Yeah. Or you're because of where you're at and your expression in this lifetime, it you know, it's just coming forth. And yeah, to not it would be a disservice not to present that and and to be humble with that really is what I try to remember is like right. Um, people perceive me a certain way, even though I don't really see myself, I see myself more as blue or something you know, as, a, as a straight up alien, but you know, people perceive me as a white male and I have to be um, considerate of that and listen when someone gets upset and not take it personal. Right. It's, um, a lot of times it's not about me. It's about a deeper wound. And, um, and yeah, there's ways of navigating, but I feel you, man. Cause I, I was the same way as like, I, you know, it's, I, I can't do this. Who am I to do this? And, you know, what are people going to say? They're going to get upset. But, you know, with the Sekhem, I was surprised a lot of people were really, like, receptive to me with it. Mm. I think it's just the energy, you know, that we put out and, um, like, people can feel it. Because a lot of what I was saying, you know, it just what came to me with the Sekhem energy, what came to me when I connected with the material, which is, like, my soul family. And so just what I experienced is what I was sharing on the Internet and stuff. And people were, like, actually, you know, positively received it. Maybe not everyone, but I was... I, it was just refreshing. And, you know, the culture on um, YouTube and a lot of the other platforms is uh, a lot better now than it was maybe 10, 15 years ago, as far as like supporting each other. And I think a lot of that is the younger generation where they're like, you know, we don't have to compete. We actually help each other when we're doing the same thing. You know, it's not competition. It's actually supporting. So um, that's that's great. And uh, maybe that's just me shifting. Maybe I shifted onto a new timeline where I wasn't as compet- competitive and comparing myself as much to others, even though that still happens Yeah. to just like, you're like, Oh wow, I'm happy for them. That's great. That, you know, versus like, Oh man, I can do that better or whatever, you know, the ego comes in with. Totally. And and if we believe what the ego is saying and feed into it, then it creates this field of energy and, mm-hmm. you know, we experience more of that kind of thing. In a sense. 
yeah, when I finally was able to, and I still don't all the time, you know, it's still definitely a conscious practice that I have to do, but, you know, switching from that scarcity mentality to the abundance mentality, you know, just like you said, you know, like there's countless Reiki practitioners, sound healers, podcast hosts, whatever it is. And I can spend all my day being like, oh shit, I'm not as good as them. Or what, what can I do to make myself better? or embrace the path that I'm on, embrace the, the, the weird core lessons of all this weird stuff that comes together to give me the actualization moment to make me Adam right now, you know, and just embrace that and love the fact that that's a thing. That's, it's an opportunity that I get to explore instead of trying to compare myself to somebody like yourself or to Seth or to somebody else that, you know, might have in my perception, you know, maybe accomplished a little bit more than me. You know, but it's, it's, it's all just the perspective, right? It's all just the perspective of where we're at, why we're there, what are we learning, you know, cause I can't learn your lessons. You can't learn my lessons. So I'm exactly where I need to be. You know, you're exactly where you need to be. And I think the more we start to understand that we can embrace the, the beauty of this moment instead of just so focused on the next or the past and the anxiety and the depression and all that just like that pendulum swing back and forth. You know, that's why I'm like, so right now drawn to that middle path of Taoism, you know, let's just, just give me a road. Let me just walk that road. I'll go right. If I need to go right, but then I'll come right back to the road I'll go left. If I need to go left, then I'll come right back to the road. Just the non-attachment. I'm just here to serve. I'm here to help. How, how can I help you? Whatever it needs to be. Yeah, that's perfect. I, yeah, that's kind of like what I was talking about with that void energy and being neutrality is just creating this, you know, receptiveness and ability to just be present and then move towards what's being asked or how to be of service kind of thing for yeah. sure. Yeah. And only you can do what you do. Like everyone else is might be, I know a lot of sound healers, but I, I didn't experience what I experienced with, as you did it. You know what I mean? Like I know a lot of the good ones and, and you did it different and it was great. And nobody else could do it that way. You know what I mean? Exactly. It was your own voice and it was your own guidance and how to do what you're doing. And, and even just what you said before and after it was like, that's perfect. You know, oh. and we, it only happens in the moment. Yeah. It just flows out in the moment. Exactly. And we won't know how to do it next time necessarily. It'll just, it'll flow out in the moment. Exactly. <laughs> yep. I just turned myself over, surrender, hollow bone conduit, just do with as you wish and we'll figure it out at the end. <laughs> uh, well, Jason, thank you so much, man. I've, I've really enjoyed this conversation. Um, where can people find you if they want to learn more about you or book a session with you? Cause you, you do online sessions with SECAM and with uh, galactic shamanism, correct? Yeah, yeah, I do uh, tarot and energy signature readings as well and offer, um, coaching mentoring over three, six and nine months. You can find me at uh, jasondonaldsonhealer.com. And if you search Jason Donaldson healer, you can find me on uh, various uh, social media and stuff. Beautiful. Yeah, definitely uh, got a good YouTube presence, got a good uh, Instagram presence. Uh, check him out. I'll leave uh, ways to get in touch with Jason in the show notes. Uh, but Jason, thank you so much, brother. I appreciate all your time, uh, what you're doing for this world. And uh, I can't wait to talk to you again, man. Thank you. You as well, man. This has been great. Thank you so much. Thank you, brother. Have a good day. All right. You too. Aloha. Thank you so much for spending time with Jason and I. Uh, please check out the show notes for ways to get in touch with Jason, book a session, learn more about him. Also, there are ways to support the show. Obeisance and love. We'll see you all next time.